Testing, testing the microphone. Don't wanna be alone. Oh, I'm just following you home. Oh. Yeah, I'm in my zone. Oh. I'm already recording, so you're gonna hear my beautiful voice. When oh, you, when okay. You, when you, when you All right. Okay. Yeah. Gucci. All right. What up, mi gente? It's Vero Fuerte. Yo, it's Ricardo Americano, a.k.a. Mexican Natsu. And we're here to help you navigate the world as two Hispanics, Latinos, Latinx, brown people. What are we again? Well, that's what we're here to discover on the In Limit Spanish podcast. Each week, you'll listen in on two millennial minorities chop it up on what it means to navigate both cultures on and off the internet. Along with the latest in music, movies, and more. Here, here on, on the, the In Limit Spanish podcast. podcast. Bienvenidos to the second episode of the second season of the In Living Spanglish podcast. I am your hostess with the, I guess the mostess, uh, Vero Fuerte. And here alongside me is, uh, you know, my compadre, right? Ricardo Mexicano. Say what's up to the people, homie. I have to say that because of that noise you made in the beginning, this is probably going to be my last episode ever of the podcast. Uh, I can't stand to be around a degenerate like you. So Well, I mean, it's okay because it's always been my dream to go solo anyway. You were really just an underling all along, so it all works out. So I know, yeah. So that's why I'm, I'm buying a plane ticket to Mesa, Arizona tonight, and I'm going to live with a hermit out there because uh-huh. that noise, I'd rather have sandpaper paraded through, my, through the webs of my fingers then have to hear that noise again on that note human beings i do want to go ahead and i'm nobody let's go oh okay okay well that nobody voice that you heard is uh, ricardo mexicano the second half of this podcast couldn't do it without him folks even with that even with his like crazy metaphors mm-hmm. uh we did want to go ahead and we wanted to go ahead and say happy black history month i know that it's something that everybody's acknowledging right now so i mean we'd be remiss if we didn't and also happy birthday this week to shakira daddy yankee and uh tego calderon which um if you're anything like me you just recently learned is a prominent reggaeton rapper in our community uh so uh, happy birthday shouts out to them i don't know how prominent he is anymore like he was a lot prominent like in the early like when reggaeton first started like mm-hmm. 2004 2005 and then like even like 2009 2008 something like that i don't know about now just because there's so many different like because reggaeton has become like this because it has like a second wave now in days and it's almost like more mainstream than it ever was before because reggaeton was huge when it first popped off and i don't think some people realized how huge it was at the time and like how it just took over like it took over pretty much latin america for the most part, and the United States knew about it as well. Like you're like you had it so much to hustle that the that the average Joe knew what Gasolina was. They knew these songs. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. I said, it took the it took the world by storm. But like ever since I would say twenty, and it never stopped either. Like I said, it was, it's been prominent in the Latin community forever. But now it's getting that mainstream appeal again since like maybe twenty sixteen mm-hmm. to where it's like out of here yeah where i mean people like bad bunny and all of them are making like homages to his kind of music and stuff so that's a really big deal but even a more important question ricardo i do have to ask you on a scale of one to ten how much if at all do your hips lie 
Uh, they don't. They've never had. Um, I can I can you know get before a grand jury, you know, in the in the state of Delaware, and they will tell you that, you know, your hips spit nothing but facts. No, yeah, the testimony is all no true. Printer. That mm-hmm. there's that there's no lying these hips. Um, it takes me back to a story of a young woman back in 1839 who was actually convicted for the the rotundness of her body, and she told the judge before she was executed at the stake that there is nothing more prominent than these hips and that the body of a woman will exist forever not on this earth but in the celestial heavens and because of when i read that i just realized that yeah the woman's body is the only physical form the man is more mental than anything else yeah that, that's where and i think that's what shakira was trying to like was trying to say in that song more mm-hmm. more so it was a political statement. Exactly. Right? And now that we've officially lost all three of our listeners, human beings, uh, we'll go. <laughs> you like how I did that? That was all fake. Yeah, you see I, how know. Quick I know. Come on, man. I love how you ran with that and totally made shit up right off the top. That come, is like on. one supreme, along with your endless wormhole cavern of flawless SpongeBob quotes, I think your ability to like make complete shit up on the spot is second to none. It really And make is. it sound real, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a deep voice. This is why I never lie. This is why I'm like the biggest. This is why I don't even try to lie. Like you will know I'm always 100% honest and 100% real with you. Because even if I try to lie, you can automatically tell my tales. Like my hands shake and like my eyes start shifting. And then like my voice like gets on all different octaves. It's horrible. I'm a terrible liar. So I don't even fucking try. Well, I don't even consider that lying. Not, to me, that's just storytelling. No, right it's there. a lie. It's a lie because it's a it, untruth. But okay. All it's right. not a lie. You, well, so all stories are lies? They're not narr- They're non-fic- they're, they're fiction, but they're not lies. See, this is why I was a terrible actor in high school no, I'm saying like, like i was in theater arts and i was like mediocre i was in middle of the fucking pack like let me tell you i was not like up there with you know the the big like dramatic gold star kids that were in theater nor was i like the worst of the worst but i was like somewhere lower to the middle to the worst because i cannot tell a lie whether it's a story to save my life so like that's a very good and a very bad thing for me but like we said uh, happy Black History Month. You had something to share with us as far as like Latin ties to black history. Is that right? I mean, yeah. I mean, of course you have, uh, I wouldn't say Haiti so much because Haiti doesn't really, I don't really consider Haiti Latin. And I don't think they themselves wouldn't consider themselves Latin either. Uh, you know, shout out to Haiti and all that. But hey, fun fact. Sorry, like, don't mean to interrupt you. I actually had an ex-boyfriend that I, I forgot how it started, but he would actually brag to me that he was part Latin because he was from Haiti. Or something along those lines, which I don't know how that works. But yeah, sorry. Anyway, continue. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, because like, and that's why, you know, you get into like semantics and all that. Because mm-hmm. Latin, all Latin means is that it was derived from a Latin language, right? Mm-hmm. And with Haiti, the prominent and dominant language being French, French is a Latin language by association, by being a Latin-based language, a Romance language. So in that sense, could you call Haiti a Latin American country? Yes, but... I would, I would beg the difference. I don't no, think. No, I think he was just trying to get some between you and me. But anyway, I think yes. them. I think themselves. They like I said. I think most mm-hmm. of, majority of people will not consider themselves a Latin, as opposed to like the DR right next to them. It's like they would definitely consider themselves like Latin American. Um, I actually want to like just shine a little bit of light on some history that most people don't really know when it comes to the topic of slavery. You know, abolitionist movements and the America and that's and I think, you know, the United States gets a, a huge light shone on them when it comes to the abolishment of slavery. I think a lot of people have to like 
unveil, unveil the curtains and realize, mm-hmm. you know, the rest of the world was going on at the same time that the United States was also going through like turmoil, right? And I think you have to like, you know, you can you can look no further than, you know, the neighbors to the south, Mexico, uh, in this topic. There were countries like Mexico that were being progressive in their own right way before the United States ever considered doing the same. I want to talk about Vicente Guerrero, who was the first president of Mexico after the independence. A very short-lived presidency because he was eventually taken down by conservatives and the the very right-wing people of Mexico and was executed. But during his presidency, he did one, he was of mixed race. He was a uh, was it mulatto and a um, amicito. So he was like, you know, Afro, Afro-Mexican, to, to put it more in simpler terms. But he actually used his political powers presidency to abolish slavery, I believe, in 1829. So when you think about it, it's almost like... So he was a liberal Mexican president that abolished slavery in Mexico in 1829. Was that... Oh, then that was like well before America did it, right? Yeah, America was 1865. Mm-hmm. So they're talking about a whole... 40-ish years. There you go. Dope. And as per usual, we are here to go ahead and tell you in the In Living Spanglish podcast that we Latinos did it first. That's all there is to it. Uh, If we had a sounding board, if we could afford one yet, I'd say that this calls for a round of applause or cheer. And then like, this is where you get like the soundtrack. Yeah. We are amazing. Um. But speaking of white people versus brown people, I think that it's time for us to actually talk about uh, something that you actually told me about earlier this week, which was um, that you experienced some white tacos from where was it again? What restaurant was that? Yeah, it's like in the same vein of Torchy's tacos, you know, very overpriced and very mm-hmm. um, describe it. This it, it, isn't my first time, like I said, in that vein, these type of tacos. You know, being from Texas, you experience these type of tacos like everywhere. So the traditional white person taco, what does it entail? I don't think that exists, to believe uh-huh. it or not. I think it's kind of ironic. It's yeah. like, okay, I don't, okay. I don't so think, because the go-to because, white person taco, what does that entail? I don't, I don't know that either. What do you mean? Because because like I, because they're, they're, it's always so extra. Uh-huh. That's what I mean. Like, like, a, like you go to like a Tex-Mex white person establishment for ta- for uh for tacos then it's always something super super extra like i mean you can get your your flour tortilla with chicken and like that's it you can get that but you can almost get that anywhere like i think what separates those type of restaurants is what i heard from somebody at work is like they have very hippy dippy tacos and like when they said and when they said that it made all sense so like i can't answer that question because like i don't know what that is to call something a traditional white person taco basically what tacos have become in the face of you know uh american chain restaurantness right and basically like the way that i know is that torchy's tacos and this is okay and so this is us talking about it like with no hate involved okay because Mm -mm. i love my traditional ass tacos my brown uh people tacos as we'd like to call them here on the in living spanglish podcast but i also adore me um you know, in the right moment, in the right level of drunkenness, uh, a good white person tacos from specifically Torchy's tacos. And that usually entails what, like 
a really obnoxiously large tortilla. Like you said, super, super extra. Like with uh, some fancy ass aioli sauce that a real Mexican would never put on their taco. With like all of these different extra things on it. Meanwhile, if you go to a taqueria, like right down the road, right next to your like abuela's house, the, the random hole in the wall place, like the tacos are a completely different size. And all you have... Uh, tacos de uh, te tacos de pastor, tacos de pollo with uh, cebolla, cilantro, and some uh, and like a variant degree of sauces, and that's it. It's todo. Bistec like, and barbacoa. Uh, you say that, but they also have bistec and barbacoa. But oh, yeah, 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 you, you, yeah, you say that, but like if you go to Mexico, you you're gonna find somebody who sells like iguana and alligator tacos. See, but it's gonna be in their style. It's gonna be in the Mexican style. But exactly. the meat, but the meat is gonna be. It depends on how deep in Me Mexico you go. Tell me. I'm saying because I've, yeah. I've been to I've been to places in Mexico where they sell like iguana tacos. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so like the actual meat itself isn't the 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 huge difference maker. To me, it's like the whole presentation and like what goes on it. That's mm -hmm. like the big difference maker. Like take for instance, I'm looking at the menu for Austin City Tacos. The one I got was called the Revolution, and uh, that's that. Yeah, that's the, literally the name of taco and. It consisted of a, it was an old smoked brisket taco, and it was chopped bris brisket, fried onion strings, buttermilk ranch, cilantro, and a flour tortilla. So that right there just See, already tells you. that's just too much. And it was good, though. Don't I, get me I wrong. Mean, no, look, look, look. We know, we, like, uh, we're not debating the fact that it's delicious. We're debating the fact that, you know, there's a difference. That's all we're saying yeah. is that we're pointing out the differences between a white person taco and, you know, brown people tacos, you know, because they're not one and the same human beings. Exactly. I think one of the big differences uh, that will always stick out between Tex-Mex or white people taco, whatever, and Mexican tacos is the lack of cheese in Mexican tacos. And in, in Mexican yeah. tacos, unless you like eating like a like a huarache. You 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 seen the what I just write the more thicker tacos, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, so. they would put they would put like you know the stinky Mexican cheese on that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think it's my but favorite cheese. but I but I'm thinking more of like the cheddar and like stuff like that that you'll find on Tex Mex. There's Mexico. no such thing as cheddar in Mexico. Like that's the funny ass thing is that I hate it when I go to restaurants and I ask for a taco or, or if I ask for like if I ask for like heaven forbid a fucking enchilada and they put cheddar on it i am like straight up almost walking straight out the restaurant but you know i'm really bougie when it comes to enchiladas like that's a whole different podcast topic in itself so well you say you you don't you say you don't want cheddar on enchilada i don't want cheddar on any of my tacos i don't want cheddar on my enchiladas like cheddar does not belong in the world of mexican, mexican food. cuisine Mexican yeah. cuisine, not in my opinion. Like, I love cheddar in grilled cheese. I love cheddar in my mac and cheese. I love cheddar in any traditional American food, but not in my Mexican comida. I yeah, and it's, not, and, and it's not just cheddar. There's a, there's a wide range of cheeses that Mexico mm -hmm. just doesn't use. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you can find it. If you, if you go to a canaceria, if you go to a grocery store in Mexico, you dig deep enough, you're going to find those cheeses. It's but like, you have to dig. Like, that's the thing. Not so much dig. Uh, you can go to, like, a Soriana, which is, like, a big Mexican chain. In uh, in Mexico, and uh, you can go to the uh, the dairy section. You can find cheddar. But what I'm saying is that like cheddar is not something that like it, you won't find it. Yeah, you won't find it used in the restaurants like that. Mm -hmm. But you, but you can find it like in stores. Like, cheddar is probably one of the most popular cheeses in America versus mm -hmm. in Mexico, not so much. Is what yeah, we're saying. yeah. It may not be popular, but yeah, it is definitely. There. It's kind of like how what, what like what's something here that's widely available but not a lot of people buy in America. Uh. 
No, that's very uh, popular. I'm talking about something that's very widely available, but not not a lot of people buy in America. Um, I don't know, vegetables. Maybe uh, ginger. Gin- How about I guess. ginger? I don't know. Like pickle ginger. Sure. Yeah. I don't eat pickle ginger. Because that's very that's very uh Asian for the most part. Yeah. So I feel like unless you like. I don't like- know how to use ginger. Like that's my thing. Is I like the taste of like I'll if things on the menu have ginger, I'll get it. But I don't know the taste of. ginger. It's a palate cleanser. Like I don't know how to eat it. It's a know? palate cleanser. Okay, well, yeah. I, I'm not fancy schmancy enough for the, all of that. I know that, like, their palate cleansers when you go wine tasting and stuff. I don't know how to fuck to do that either. Well, so. well, well, with ginger, very easy, mm-hmm. uh, Mrs. Potty Mouth. It's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, so, like, sushi. Sorry, I'm, like, three shots in. This is to be expected. So, 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 like, you know, like, sushi, right? So yeah. Let's say you get di- two different types of sushi. You know, they always bring, like, a little little thing of ginger. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to, like, eat your sushi, whatever, you know, dip it in soy sauce, wasabi, and then you eat a little bit of ginger so you, so you can, like, get the full experience of the next sushi. So that's what it is. I guess. I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I, that, all of that is way too fancy for me. Like, I'd rather just have everything, like, mashed together in my mouth like baby food. You so. say that, but you're a very fancy person. You like yeah. the fanciness of things. Well, I'm like bougie. Um, pseudo bougie? I'm like pseudo bougie. Exactly. Like, I'm not five star bougie, but I'm like bougie light, if that makes any sense. Like, I love like going to new restaurants and I'm very like, I'm very hyper specific about like the kind of like uh, enchiladas I get and what constitutes like authentic food versus like commercialized food and this kind of this, that and the other. But like, I also like still get on rants when it comes to like really, really fancy places where they put like that little like bit of food right there in the middle and like in a giant white plate. And then you pay like $60 for that. Like, what is the, point of that you will never catch me in a restaurant like that ever 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 uh but speaking of all that i think it's time to go ahead and launch into our new segment on our podcast hosted by um lovely regarded ricardo mexicano this is uh what the hell twitter where he goes ahead and he expounds on the latest debauchery that twitter has for us so take it away Ricardo. this is a little thing i like to call mm-hmm. uh what the hell twitter where where i find something that like just stood out to me you know during the week and i'm just like why is my feed like this? Why does this type of content keep appearing on my timeline? Well, I can't the get the highlights aw- of the internet. Yeah. I can't get away from it. Earlier this week, I can't remember what happened. I think it was maybe Monday or Tuesday. Trey songs. Trey songs been in the news lately. Like I think a few weeks ago, you know, he was in the in the in that Chiefs game and he was choking out that security guard or that police officer, the sheriff, oh, yeah. because he got into a fight. Mm-hmm. And then now apparently, uh, some adult. Uh, rated content had leaked that a lot of people are speculating is involving uh, Trigger, aka Trey Songs. Uh, it's very short. Uh, there is a very young uh, queen uh, that is on her knees, and there is a gentleman who is recording her while she is, you know, fellationing. And the the uh, the ramienta, the tool that 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 tr- <laughs> that 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 uh oh that the man in question that they are alleging is Trey Song. I don't know how you're around all this shit. Yesterday. Is um, it's it's very, you know, like you know, dude got it, you know, uh-huh. you know he got he got it on him, you know, um, 
He's very blessed. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. The, the headlines that we're seeing were so weird. It was like, it was like Trey Song has a new video, and and girls are in amazement, and men are questioning their so man- and men are questioning a- their manhood. And I'm like, what do you mean questioning my manhood? Like, I'm just literally looking at the video. Like, they over here are already making assumptions that guys are looking at this video like in great envy. I'm just like, I really don't care if Trey Song is like, if this like, and once again, we he he hasn't confirmed that this is really him. If he's gainfully endowed. Yeah, he hasn't. I mean, probably. I don't know. Like, um, he ha- he has looked at the video. He's like, it's Black History Month after all. He already made, uh, like, uh, like little like um uh, responses to it, but like in a very sarcastic manner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. he has, with the he's, smirk face emoji or something like. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. He was like looking at it like this. He was looking at the video on his phone, and now apparently he's like telling people to go to like his uh his newly started OnlyFans account. So it's kind of like. Wow. Was this a was this a marketing um um strategy to get okay, people? Okay, so to... dime, dime, dime. Like, so basically, what you're saying is that on your Twitter highlight leak that came out that uh Trey is getting fellatioed by this woman and all of this stuff, and now he's not denying it. He's not confirming or denying. So, but it might all have been to get people to go to his OnlyFans page? Or, or he realized that this is a good way to get people to go to his OnlyFans page. Well, here's the thing is that, is he coming out with any new music or has he come out with something I think, lately? I think he's coming out with something new, which will make sense if yeah. he's coming out with new music. Um, but this reminds me of the whole thing that happened with the baby. Uh-huh. Uh, like, uh, not last year, but the year before that, where like a video leaked of him. Um, you know, whipping it out. There was no girl involved this time. It was literally just who knows. I don't know. Okay, but All right. yeah, well, that was our fellatio talk for this week's segment. Please don't uh, ever say that again. And um, uh, well, I hope I never have to say it again. Yeah, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, we actually. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this episode's all over the place. Um, but um, you can see who's the immature one here, folks. I remain composure that whole yeah, time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But the a, two of us, like, I'm probably the least composed. I'm a pro when it comes to this nastiness. Yeah. But okay, so uh, what we wanted to go ahead and uh, get into now is we actually um, there was something that I brought up to you earlier that I thought was very interesting, just kind of in light of Black History Month in general. You know, like this time of year, this month especially, we see a lot of movies out in Netflix and Amazon Prime and all of our streaming services. And you know how you see that, like, when you open up the uh, streaming apps, you see that subcategory that says... Celebrating Black History. Celebrating Black History, et cetera, Celebrating et cetera. Black Voices. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so when you click on them, a lot of times I find myself thinking okay so what really constitutes poc art what really constitutes art that is made from people of color primary like uh, specifically i guess in this case would be what constitutes art that is made uh, black people art and the reason that i ask that and I guess we'll go ahead and we'll lead into this uh, kind of sort of because it's tied into my good looking out for this week is that I watched uh, on Netflix's uh, Malcolm and Marie. So uh, this um, so this movie itself, uh, it starts as Zendaya in uh, Zendaya. 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 And, Right, 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 right. My bad, my bad. It starts Zendaya and John David Washington, which is uh, Denzel's uh, son. And, I mean, John David Washington, uh, we've seen him before in Black Klansman and the Book of Eli, all of this, that, and the other. Tenet. Yeah, exactly. Super talented. So is Zendaya, you know, just coming off of Euphoria. But 
uh, these two black actors, this movie that they're in, Malcolm and Marie, is actually written and directed by, yes, Sam Levinson. I want to make sure to get his name right. The same in, person in the, that um, worked on Euphoria. It worked on Euphoria, exactly. And the thing about Sam Levinson is that he's white. So my question is, is that when something, when a piece of black art is directed and written and like came from the mind of a white artist but stars two black people does it still count as black art like or like let's say that it was uh what's her name shonda rhimes and she produced you know like shameless and all of these other uh really like uh award-winning tv shows that have these white people cast is it still considered black art because she was behind the camera doing all of the work while it was a white cast in front? Um, you know, so you get what I'm saying? Like, what constitutes black art? Like, uh, does it have to be a uh, white artist in front of the camera or a black artist um, in front of the camera? Does it, do it have to be behind the scene or is there a certain ratio that constitutes it to end up in that algorithm or just to be considered POC art in general? Like, what is ultimately the impression being made of this film? Is it being contributed by the director themselves or is it the actors that are portraying the script and the vision of the creators? Like, what are you getting more? Because you can say, you know, from from a very blatant uh, perspective is that because the actors are black and this is a black story, th therefore this is for people of color. You know, for black people specifically, but then you. But if you, I guess, if you dig deep, like how you do, and like other people do, you start to see that hey, this script, this vision, this production came from a white person, somebody who's not really came from the mind of a white person, somebody who hasn't really lived that life, exactly. Right. So, and and that's a very slippery slope too, because it's kind of like you know, you then start to kind of like fall into that territory with like, all right, are you trying to tell somebody what they create and what they, what they cannot create, you know? Um, and, you know, they also agree to be on it as well. So it's like, they're almost like, it's almost like- They're a, collaborating. Yeah, they're, they're collaborating. Like, okay, so let's talk specifically about Malcolm and Marie and Netflix. I mean, Malcolm and Marie got a lot of backlash actually um, when the movie came out. I mean, not only just for the age differences of uh, John David Washington, who I believe is like 36, and Zendaya, who is 34. Zendaya? 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 Zendaya. Sorry, Zendaya. You're about to say she's I'm 34? So, no, she's 24. I know about to say. Yeah, hmm. no. Uh, John David Washington is 36. She's uh, 24. That's a 12-year-old age difference. But more so... Um, more so, I did see a lot of backlash in, you know, um, in Levinson trying to portray this uh, black story. And he said that it was he had a very collaborative experience with both of the actors. So both Zendaya and John David Washington, you know, uh, they they helped him, you know, mold the story. But at the end of the day, he's the one that wrote it. So, again, I mean, it's it just me posing the simple question of like whenever you're flipping through your algorithm you know which one counts as a black story is it the one that's produced by the black person or the one that stars a white person but produced by or directed by the white person you know and i don't know i don't really have an answer to that but i just thought that it was it was very interesting when you look at it um to see the different ways that 
we as people of color could be represented um, and how even though we like the idea of, you know, an all black um, cast or an all Latino cast and all like an entire black production, you know, we have to learn how to work collaboratively. Um, uh, but to I, I, don't, I don't know, I guess I'm just really stuck on that question. It's like at the end of the day, what will make it black art you know is it because it holds the black story or is it because it's written by a white man like i don't understand i i I don't know it's just something to throw out into the void i think for to be like very cynical about it Mm -hmm. because i think this is how a lot of streaming companies a lot of media portrayed it it's like if it's black it it just fits you know Mm kind of thing Mm -hmm. to be you know very cut cut and dry about it i think a lot of people nowadays view it as almost a it's marketing at the end of the day it's like i mean i guess what you uh, i guess i get what you mean just because of the fact that like within those within those algorithms that you flip through on netflix whenever you see like celebrating black history you don't see uh shonda rhimes's Grey's anatomy on there and she created that show mm-hmm. i mean it's full of white people more or less but she created that show and and if she created it that should be on there right even mm-hmm. though she's behind the scenes but for marketing purposes, it's going to be the it's going to be if it has an all black cast front and center that it's going to be put on the screen. Yeah. And labeled as a black history show. Black or whatever. history. Yeah. Celebration and, and, thing. But and I feel like you have to give the audience more credit because I would hope so, because I feel like, you know, most people are able to like really tell because I think there's always been that that notion or that thought that there are certain films that may have a predominantly black cast, but is this a black movie? Like, you can say Boys in the Hood is a very black movie. You can say Love and Basketball is a very black movie. Uh, New Jack City. Uh, what else? Um, I'm trying to think some more. Friday, you know? Uh, What's Love got to do with this? You know, Tina Turner and all that. The mm-hmm. biopic. You can say that it's a very black movie because you can you can, you can can see the heart and soul, but, then you can, but these directors are also very prominently known. Uh, but then you also have great movies with all black cla- ca- uh, cast, like The Color Purple, for instance, which is a Steven Spielberg production. Mm-hmm. So exactly, th- that's a perfect so, other example for it. So w- does that make that film any less black? Because that has Oprah, Whoopi, and 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 Danny Danny Glover in it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, are you gonna say The Color Purple ain't a black movie because mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg is is the 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 director and you know, the color purple based on a, uh, it's based on a book, isn't it's, it? Yeah, it's a book. Yeah, it's, it's based book. on a book. But like, ultimately, it was Steven's vision. Of course, he had a source material, but it was his vision for the movie. So, like, who are we to say that that's not a black film? Because I'm pretty sure there's a lot of black people who love that film and grew mm-hmm. up with and it. Consider it a black film, yeah. Um, and it's also like, I don't, I, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with collaboration. Of course, mm-hmm. um, I think it ultimately comes down to your intentions and why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like reading a book and you fall in love with the message that the book has. But then you, if you start digging, digging deeper into the person who wrote it, it's like, okay, why are you writing this? And what are the message you're trying to get across? Mm-hmm. You know, and is, is this positive or is this negative? Whatever yeah. it may be. And what is, what was your inspiration behind writing this? You know, yeah. why did this all begin? Yeah. Like, exactly. are you pushing an agenda yeah. or is this just you writing because you love to write? Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes you just want to sit back and you want to watch a good movie and you don't want to think that much into it. Like, we get that part, too. And those were just some ideas that were running through my head. Yeah. And um, I think and I think, I think, think from Sam Levison's work on 
on Euphoria, you can definitely see that he probably he has a good um, grasp grasp of what he his perception of what kids and you know Euphoria has a lot of uh, people of color in it. So I think he's been able to grasp and put his touch and his perspective of like what he sees these kids as. But I'm pretty sure he's also open to collaboration within these people and being them allowed to you know with Zendaya uh, being having them uh, be able to tell their stories how they see fit. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'm just venturing to guess that he's probably a very open director and wants the he best. He seems like it. He seems like it. Yeah, and I think that this is a good segue to go ahead and uh, get into our uh, good looking out. Like uh, we mentioned earlier, this is a segment where we go ahead and we tell you what we've been watching, what we've been streaming, movies, TV shows, all of that, and just give you our takes. Um, Can I say one more thing? Yeah. And I, and I remember I brought this up on the podcast, like, I don't know how many episodes ago, but... I remember I brought up the whole uh, thing about, you know, why does it have to be a, a Hispanic film? Why does it have to be a a black film? You know, mm-hmm. of course, it's very important and those films mean a, a lot to us. But where does it, where's the start and where's the finish when it comes to this just being a very good film kind of thing? Yeah, no. And I mean, that's something that we could talk about at nauseum, you know, um, definitely that that's definitely something that we brought up plenty of times so yeah. no yeah i definitely agree and it's about like you know why do you have to put things very cliche but why do you have to put things in a box you know kind of thing mm-hmm. like i said i know the importance don't get me wrong like i, I know the importance of a lot of these movies and why you know because like i said and this this always been my big problem with critics it's like you guys say that all these very loved films are 40 percent and below on, on Rotten tomatoes but the hood loves it you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And like, so we're not about to let you stop us from loving Boomerang and, you know, the uh, Harlem Nights and, you know, all these amazing films. So. Actually, but, you'd be surprised. Friday is pretty high up there. It's like an 80 or something. Now. Probably not initial release. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if Rotten Tomatoes was around when Friday came out, but um, yeah, no, I, that's uh, something that I do definitely agree on. And um, that's something that we could get even deeper in on another time because you and I both agree on the idea of there being a balance between what's considered a POC film and what's a just a good film in general like I feel like I can't wait for the day where our stories can just be stories instead of just being something that's marketable to that other people can make money off of because if anyone's going to make money off of, you know, like my ancestor stories and my and like the pain and anguish that we grew up in, it's going to be me. You know, it's not going to be, you know, uh, Steven Spielberg. Uh, hopefully not. Not by any means. But, you know, like that's that's shit that we have to rattle out through as uh, as the years come, because I don't think that we're there yet. I feel like you and I, we tend to want to fast forward progression a lot when it comes to the situations of uh, Hispanics, Latinos, black people, people of color in general. And we want to go ahead and just get to the point where, you know, we can have a movie like to, and we, and we're getting there in small portions, like to all the boys that I've loved before, you know, when you hear the story of Laura Jean, you don't think, Oh, this is a really cool, like story about like Asian American girl. And all it's just a story about a teenage girl and her crushes and shit. It's not, it, it's not yeah, it's, it's not, not playing, an Asian American story yeah it's not playing heavy into like these Asian tropes into her race yeah, yeah exactly yeah. 
That movie was directed by a white woman, by the way. Exactly. But then you have the farewell, you know, which totally leans into, you know, um, you know, Asian American traditionalism and like uh, all of their stuff. And that's still just as legitimate of a movie as well. You know, so you have importance and substance in both. And I think right now we're in a place where we're right now where we're in the middle and we're trying to find a balance. That's my take on it. Exactly. And I always um, I think that the like either I make it or somebody else does. But I've always thought that the Tyler, Texas um, Hispanic experience is something oh, yeah. that that never has never been talked about and to like me who lived it and like who knows what it's like um as a, as a, as a male specifically and like to I could like just see that on the screen and I've always thought about it and I'm like like people would fall in love with this story cuz they would be so out of their their comfort zone people don't ever talk about the Texan Hispanic experience at all ever and that's again that's something that we can talk about another podcast another day and something that you and I can get into personally mm-hmm. um but yeah, no, uh, now we're going to go ahead, <laughs> with all of that being said, mi gente, we're going to go ahead and slip into uh, the good looking out. So, um, all right, so you already know what mine is. Uh, it's uh, Malcolm and Marie uh, from Netflix, uh, Zendaya and John David Washington. So basically what this film is about is uh, it's literally just the two of them on the screen for like an hour and 47 minutes, and it's in black and white, and it's them in their house right after uh, John David Washington's character. He gets done. Uh, they're coming home from like some fancy film award that he just won because he's like a, a director or a screenwriter or whatever and basically it's just an hour uh, an almost two hour film of them fighting and going back and forth and all of these really really long ass monologues about um relationship dynamics and film criticisms and like and like uh and basically their love and a the way that this film basically came off to me is that it's very, very theatrical. There were parts of the film where, again, Zendaya, Zendaya has already proved her has already <laughs> proved her acting chops when it comes to Euphoria and other films in the past. This girl has got it, and she's a phenomenal actress. Like I'm not gonna take that away from her. And uh, John David Washington was really great in the film too. I will say, however, that with them, it felt in some parts that it was very theatrical because there were so many monologues it it did take me almost back to my uh theater days where i was watching a play and and there were parts of it where it did feel over the top the parts of it that did not feel over the top however like felt very vulnerable and felt very real and it showed what almost to me, it almost felt like an emotionally abusive relationship where they loved each other, but they, but it, it, it was like a prime example, again, because the entire hour and a half, they're just arguing back and forth, and that's the entire movie is that you just, it's a black and white movie where these two characters are arguing back and forth with each other, and that's it. Is it just in one setting? Yes, it's just in one, it's within their house, but when they're going back and forth with each other, you start to get the grasp of these people these two people love each other very much but they also know each other really really well so much so where there are parts in the movie where they know where one 
character knows exactly what to say to the other character to hurt them in the deepest ways. And then, of course, 30 seconds later, like, they're, like, like kissing and getting close to, you know, doing the horizontal hoka-poka. But it's a very emotionally whiplashy movie. I... At the end of the movie, I was emotionally exhausted and I was super happy that I was single because I remembered, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have to go through all of that bullshit again. So if there's anything, if you're feeling lonely because of Valentine's Day, watch that and you'll remind yourself why sometimes it's better to just be alone because you don't have to deal with that bullshit. Um, But even though it was exhausting uh, pacing, I mean, the the monologues, could uh were very eloquent and large and it was even though sometimes it did come off as kind of unhealthy for me it was a very interesting show of what the darker side of love can be sometimes and for that i give it maybe a six and a half to seven out of ten veronica stars probably a seven out of ten veronica stars so if you're in a mood go watch it because i mean you know uh it's worth at least a view would you say it's more based on the dynamics of a relationship or more on like the social commentary of like what of who they are as the characters? Both. Because they got into like uh, film criticism, which is kind of ironic that I'm reviewing this movie right now. The like the faultiness and the fickleness of like film critics. And they also got into the faulty and the fickleness of, you know, what happens when one person in a relationship uh, is uh like leans too much on another person's career and all of this that and the other like they went into some really heavy-handed topics which again is why this movie was emotionally exhausting you know like i felt like just watching a really simple ass sitcom after this to sort of just lift my spirits up a little bit but you know it was fun uh did you see a lot uh sprinkles of euphoria in there Oh, yeah, you could definitely tell that it had Sam Levinson's hand in it, for sure. And it's because, you know, you and I recently watched the uh, the specials that came out with, uh, uh, obviously, written with Sam Levinson, along with Zendaya's and uh, and uh, the... Jules. Jules. Um, that person who, uh, who played Jules is help. And, um, like, Sam Levinson has this style of writing where he loves lengthy ass monologue and and just when you think it's going to be over when that person is going to finish talking they keep talking and the pacing for this movie is not as good as the pacing in euphoria i will say that um so that's why i didn't like it as much as i did uh, as i did like the writing in euphoria but it was okay uh it's definitely one of those things where if you went to go watch it with your boo you would like come out either arguing or having like a really like deep ass intellectual discussion for two hours so you know you pick your battles hmm okay yeah it seems like something that I don't want to check out yeah. um I probably will maybe maybe not right now I'll, I'll probably check it out eventually yeah I mean like I said it was it was okay and I'm still glad that I caught it um I like both actors so yeah. I'll, I'll probably check it out eventually yeah, yeah. And what was your good looking out? So my good looking out is the latest episode of WandaVision. Dun, dun, dun. So the newest, you know, the hit smash show on Disney Plus. They're really hitting at the park when it comes to mm-hmm. their own original content. Um, you know, first with Mandalorian and now with this. Uh, so 
This is episode, what was it, four or five? Five. Five, right? Episode five, yes. Five? Yeah. So, this is probably the most we've gotten as far as, like, detailed, and I I can't really get into spoilers, because there are a lot of things that go on in this episode. By the time this episode is out, it'll be out for a week. People need to catch up. No, no, you can't do that to people. You cannot do a week. No, no, no. Just say spoiler alert, and then, like... I'm not... No, 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 I'm not not doing any of that. No, no, no. no. I've been on the internet long enough to, to know what to say and what not to say it um so there's definitely other things so if you've been keeping up with the show you kind of know what has been it's been building up to and this is the episode where a lot more is revealed as to what is actually going on in westview and what the agents of sword are trying to do you know and pretty much realizing that hey wanda is kind of like not in cahoots but she's pretty much running the whole game as it is and you kind of figure out her, you, you figure out like the reasons why she's doing it. You know, it doesn't say directly, but it's a, you can kind of like make it out as to what's going on, especially if you know the history between, between her and Vision, you know, since Age of Ultron and, you know, culminating up to this. So you start, so it's really, you're really starting to be able to put the puzzles together in your head as to what exactly is going on. And then at the very end of the episode, there's a very, um, I would, I would venture to say that it is not even a, like a crossover, but it almost like defies like every definition of what a traditional crossover or a parallel, um, crossing could be, you know, um, if you've seen the episode, you know what I'm talking about, but if you haven't just know that there are some sp- splittings and some intersections that you did not think dimensional things yeah that you did not think could happen when it comes to like people that were picked and you know the inner workings of wanda's mind and just a lot of different other things and people who were picked people who were picked i did not want to say the c word Uh but you know all those things that that, i did not want to say that word um so this episode was amazing. Um, the so the, the the theme for this one was very much an '80s sitcom. You know, if you're keeping up with the show, you know '60s, '70s, and now this one's '80s. Uh, this is by far the best episode so far, uh, just as far as the story went. So, cannot wait to see what happens in the next episode. I feel like the next episode is probably even going to be even a crazier, you know, juggernaut. Uh, you know it's gonna go off, so yeah, I cannot wait. So definitely, if you haven't if you haven't checked out the show yet, please get on it. Each episode is about 30, 30 to 30, 30 minutes to thirty two minutes. So yeah. No, and I this is actually one of the few superhero movie TV show things. And you know me, I'm not like a huge superhero buff other than like the standard stuff from when we were younger. But no, I've actually been watching all of these episodes with you and I'm thoroughly invested. I don't know a lot about like the context of what's going on, but I'm thoroughly invested. So yeah, uh, no, definitely check out WandaVision. And I mean, uh, check out Malcolm and Marie if you know, you have the extra time and you know, like why the hell not? But uh, that uh, is our recommendations for this week and that was our episode of episode two season two of in living spanglish podcast human beings thank you so much for hanging out with us me and we will see you next week we out